Welcome back to The Call Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. I'm Aram Layton. He's Jack McMullen. And we got a new week here where we're going to be talking about promotions, but not to the big leagues. We've been talking about promotions to the big leagues, and now we want to give shine on all the other prospects at all the other levels. And I felt like this was a really good way to maybe talk about prospects that are trending upwards. You brought this idea too, and it was, we were like same page. Cause I was so excited to pitch the same idea to you. And I was like, boom, because there are so many players right about this time of year, Jack, that now hit their, their challenge for the rest of the season. Or if you have a double a guy, this is, kind of the time where you want to bump them to triple to see if you could get them up to the big leagues by the end of the year. So a lot of different players at a lot, a lot of different levels moving. And we want to add context to that and kind of just follow up and, and talk about how those guys may handle the challenge and, you know, why they may have got bumped up. Yeah. So the super two deadline just passed at the major league level. So you'll start to see some guys, you know, get up for their big league debut or like be up in earnest now. But for for some reason, that feels like it loosely correlates to other roster spots being open in the upper minors and maybe high A guys moving to double. Like, I think this is probably the first checkpoint that you have in the minor league baseball season where guys start to go up or down based on performance. You know, typically it's need through the first two months of the year. Now, with with minor league opening day at the AAA level being on March 31, we are April, May, mid-June. We're two and a half months in. Yeah, I think guys have proven that it's not just a hot start. Like they are succeeding. If you're good two and a half months into a season, like you're having a good season. It's not just, hey, a hot start. Let's see if he cools down. So I think that probably validates guys success at the lower levels and they get the bump up. That may also validate some big time struggles for guys that don't necessarily have prospect pedigree and they may move down. And those are the corresponding moves. Um, I saw it a lot in the pirate system. We've had, you know, kind of a turnstile Henry Davis, who I know we're going to talk about goes to the big club. Um, We had Kyle Nicholas get the bump from double to triple. We had Jared Jones get the bump from double to triple. Uh, Anthony Solomito got the bump from high A to double. Like there's been a lot of movement and that got me thinking, Hey, what about the other guys? I just watched Daniel Palencia, throw fuzz in AAA. So I know we're going to talk about him. And I, I saw the Judd Fabian tweet that, yep. that Fabian's going up to double. And I was like, dude, there are a bunch of guys that are getting bumps right now. hundred percent. And and you, you kind of got me back on track here. We do want to open up with the pr- promotions to the big leagues. Cause we always got to talk about those. Emmett Sheehan's debut real quick. And then we'll get into all of those promotions. I'm excited to talk about Sheehan's debut. I actually also want to get into it on the Just Baseball show with you a little bit later when we go record that because the Dodgers prospect was as good as advertised in his first career start. So that came on the 16th. What was that? Saturday? Friday. 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 So Friday against the rival Giants who are playing great baseball right now. That was a game that the the Dodgers ultimately lost, right? Because the Giants, I believe, have won seven in a row as we're recording this. But it wasn't due to Emmett Sheehan. It was kind of due to the rest of the bullpen because Sheehan went six innings of no hit ball, two walks, three Ks. I put out a thread before Sheehan's debut breaking down his arsenal and, uh, I'll, I'll link that in the podcast description so you can check that out because I think Sheehan has a really unique arsenal. And I think Sheehan is also an example of something that's kind of missing in Stuff Plus, which I wanted to talk about a little bit, which is a statistic that has become very popular. And I think is an excellent tool like so many other statistics. But I also think that 
if you use it in a lazy way, that will kind of leave you maybe lacking context as to how this guy can get out because stuff plus is not going to give Emmett Sheehan his due big reason why is vertical attack angle. Uh, and that's kind of the, the number one thing that I think is overlooked and still trying to be properly quantified in terms of importance in major league baseball. Trust me, it, it is incredibly important at vertical approach angle is also, you know, what, what is probably more commonly known as it's basically what, what the perspective is when you release the baseball, the lower that it is, the flatter approach angle, meaning that the, the, the the lower you want to be right around negative four. If you can get below negative four, you're elite. And she hands at negative 3.8. That's right there with, with Brian Wu. That's right there with Joe Ryan. And so the shape is less important at that point, because if, if you are releasing from a three point negative 3.8% or percent degree attack angle, that's you don't need 20 inches of induced vertical break because it's looking like it's carrying from a lower release point. If you release higher, you want more induced vertical break. So long winded thing here. Sheehan's fastball didn't have the 20 inches of induced and it has a little bit of horizontal. So it has ride and they were getting labeled as sinkers. They're not sinkers because of where it's being released from. If it was being released from a high point, then based on the way the ball moves, yeah, it would probably almost play like a sinker, almost like a dead zone pitch to a degree. But he releases it from a low point and it's pretty flat and runs to the arm side. It's not a sinker because he's releasing it from so low. So that's kind of what I wanted to get into. If anyone has questions about that, tweet at me. I'll, I'll notice the notification. I'll, I'll dive deeper into it. But it was a misreading. Stuff Plus labeled it as a sinker and it got a worse Stuff Plus grade, even though it was playing great. So, yeah, that's the thing. And like, I'm going to try and convert that. You did a really good job converting that into common English. I'm going to try and, you know, dumb it down even more and like not dumb it down, but simplify a little bit more. It was an incorrect tag, I guess. It may be tagged because of the arm slot as a mediocre sinker. It's not a mediocre sinker. It's a very unique four seam fastball. Yeah. And if, if you haven't listened to Walker Bueller on the just baseball show, he spent about five minutes on Emmett Sheehan and he was saying a lot of the same things that you were. It's such a unique and funky delivery. Like he called Walker said, it's a wacky throw. (laughs) And that's exactly what it is. Like Emmett Sheehan offers something that is not seen often at all. Joe Ryan offers something that is not seen often at all. And that is a very unique release point on a four seam fastball. Yeah. Gihan's going to be good because he deviates from the norm. He deviates from the norm in terms of the release point. So that's not an average sinker. It's a good four seamer from a very unique release point. And, And Walker made a great point. Like, that is where he can survive in the early goings. As he fine tunes everything else, he has the chance to thrive while he figures shit out because he's so unique. A hundred percent. So that's the biggest thing. The last thing we'll say on Sheehan's debut here is, yeah, I mentioned in that thread, fastball is a 70 pitch. It's up to 97, 98, but his secondaries flash above average to plus, but he's just a little sporadic with them. And that's exactly what we saw in that debut. He threw 15 changeups, 10 were balls. He threw 13 sliders, seven or six were balls. It didn't matter because he had that backbone pitch that can yep. get you through it. He's capable of striking out 10 in a start. 
he didn't strike out 10 because the secondaries weren't there. Guys were able to get a piece of the fastball, but not a good piece. And that's what's such a great, I think, baseline for Sheehan and what makes him, I think, a safer starter than most guys with his command issues. I wouldn't say issues, but like fringy command is when you have that fastball going for you. The last thing I want to say real quick is the lower the release point, the harder it is to make the ball carry upwards. You think high three quarters, what tends to happen with those kind of guys? It runs to your arm side because you're kind of getting to the side of it. So that's why people talk about like pronators and the way you kind of are able to release the ball. If you can release the ball from a low release point, but still keep the the ball kind of back spinning, that's where it's just you're in that outlier territory where there's few guys that are able to do that. And it makes the ball look like it is ascending. And he's built in a unique way, too. Like he is. He's a big guy, but it, it's all arms and legs, right? Yeah. He he almost looks like he's got a smaller torso than typical. So he gets down on the mound really well with his legs and he and he can get to unique angles with his arms, with how long his arms are. So yeah. his unique physical build, like actually his genetics help him deviate from the norm as well. So absolutely. Yeah, I mean, think about what you just said. Like he didn't have command of his secondaries and he went six no hit in his major league yeah. debut. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, that's, that's what really stands out. And yeah, sure. The league will adjust to the fastball a little bit. They'll get used to that release point a little bit more, but when that happens, hopefully he finds more feel for the slider and change up, which can be plus pitches. Like could be nasty. The guys were not hitting either of them. It's just whether he locates them through the minor leagues this year, opponents at one Oh nine against his slider and one eleven against his changeup. So when it's there, it's, it's lights out. Real quick on Henry Davis and Jacob Amaya, and then we'll get into the the rest of the the promotions through the minor leagues. Henry Davis, former number one pick, catcher, gets brought up to the big leagues. Very short time for you to be able to watch Henry Davis, uh, which is which is funny because yeah, we kind of had a feeling that might happen. And what I think stands out the most to me, Jack, is how much right field he played. He, he yep. played a lot of right field in those what ten or so games that he played. For the Indianapolis Indians. I haven't watched the video. I think it's what three games at catcher and seven or six in right field. Yep. How did he look in right field? He looked good. Yeah, that doesn't surprise he me. He, he made a diving catch. He's got a hose. We know how that hose plays from behind the dish. Like that thing eats in right field. I think if I was in Ben Charrington or Derek Shelton's chair, um, I'm looking at Andy as the catcher and I'm looking at Davis as the Dalton Varsho where yeah. he, he can catch 50 games a year, but he can play a really good defensive so, right field for a hundred. I, I think you're, I think you're right. And, you know, and then again, you, the ebbs and flows of the season can dictate that God yep. forbid Andy goes down. Okay. Now Henry can be your everyday catcher. Uh, the other wrinkle of it too is Andy Rodriguez going into this year was a more well-rounded prospect and I think a safer bat. But in terms of offensive upside, and I'm curious if you agree with this after seeing both of them up close and personal, I love Andy Rodriguez. But in terms of offensive upside with the kind of power and feel-to-hit combination and approach that Davis has, his offensive upside is is all-star. I think Andy's game is predicated on well-rounded, good feel-to-hit, switch hitter, and he'll sneak enough homers out of there. Henry Davis can hit 30 homers and still, I think, put together a pretty good batting average on base percentage. So that's a guy that you want to keep him fresh, move him around and preserve him long term, because 
when Henry, if Henry Davis is going to be the best outcome of, of what his profile is, it's hitting 30 pumps and hitting 280. And I think he can do that if it all goes right. With a 400 OBP. Yeah. That's the other thing. Like, I view Andy as like the Gabby Moreno starter kit. I view Andy as just yes. a natural athlete, great hit tool, like low K rate. He's such a smooth catcher. Might take it um, might take some time to make a big impact, but yeah. very solid. Yeah. And I love Gabby Moreno. Gabby Moreno is one of my favorite catchers in baseball. And I know he's one of your favorite catchers in baseball too. So I, I view it as that regard, but Henry mm-hmm. is, is cut from a unique cloth where he was so patient. He gets deep in counts. He walks a lot. He gets hit by a lot of pitches but then when he puts bat on ball, he's peppering 109s, dude. Like yeah. he was ripping the shit out of the ball. So, yeah, I mean, Henry, best case for Henry Davis is 30 pumps and a 400 OBP yeah. as a catcher. I mean, that's like, the number one overall pick, man. And and that's the thing. I don't want anybody to view this as a failed mission if Henry Davis is not the catcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates at 1-1. Like you're taking the best version of Dalton Varsho number one overall. Pretty much every year where he can catch, but he's a great defensive outfielder that can slug. They they took the bat. They yeah. took the bat. And you know, they knew that he could probably stick behind the dish and he can probably stick behind the dish, but they took the bat. And yeah. this is a game that's you're you're trying to you're trying to take a good bat in the top few picks. It doesn't matter where they can play. Hey, look at Spencer Torkelson. It's all about the bat. So it's it's one of those things who, by the way, is heating up and looks great. Yeah. Um Real quick, when we talk about right field, we got to give ourselves a pat on the back. We floated the idea of Christian Encarnacion Strand playing right field. <laughs> and that dude, a week later, gets put out in right field in AAA for the Reds affiliate in Louisville for the first time in his, I think, entire baseball career. I don't think he's ever played right field in his entire life. That was so cool. Clay Snowden sent that to me and was like, dude. What the hell? Uh, so that was super cool. We we called that shot a little bit before. It makes sense. It might take some time, but that arm will play out there. Last promotion to the big leagues real quick before we get to the rest of the leagues. Uh, Jacob Amaya to the Marlins. Jacob Amaya was really having a nice stretch there in AAA. Traded to the Marlins from the Dodgers in that Miguel Rojas deal. I don't know how the Marlins are going to play this whole thing. We're going to talk about that on the JB show, too. They got a lot of things to sort out, but Amaya, I think is, is a great option for them to hit left-handed pitching, play shortstop. He's a good glove. He adds some depth and I think a good bench option. I think he could be better than some of the bench guys that they've got, they've got going there, like the Garrett Hampsons and you know, whoever it may be. Some were wondering why Amaya got the nod over Xavier Edwards, who's been great and look good in short, you know, big league action. It's simple. Amaya can play a high level of shortstop. So, I think this is a really good opportunity for him. I think it's a, it helps the Marlins in, in a role that is kind of setting him up for success. Play good defense, hit lefties, and you know come off the bench in certain spots. And I think Amaya will settle into that role really well. Looks like another solid trade for Kim Ang to go basically swap Miguel Rojas for a younger version of him. Yeah, no, I, I think that this is, and I hope that this is a short-term solution at shortstop with a guy that can be a bench piece for a long while. Um, yeah. If the Marlins are in contention for a wild card spot at the end of the year, I don't want Jacob Amaya as yeah. the starting shortstop right. on September 15th, um, but I would love if he's my third middle infielder on yeah. September 15th. So, no, I, I thought that this was another awesome trade for Kim Ang. I know, you know, overwhelming, not overwhelmingly. 
for the most part, you are pro Kim Ang. Yes. For the most part, I am pro Kim Ang. Like there are some, you know, transactions that have have made you scratch your head a little bit. But yeah, for the most part, man, I think she's doing an excellent job as the GM of the Marlins. I will fully make my uh, kind of put my opinion out there after this draft because that the draft has been, been where they have been lacking. And yeah. that's CJ. And Barry was a bad pick. Yeah, Barry was a bad pick and they haven't had much to show for the last couple of years. So we'll see there. Uh, but I do love what Kim's doing at the big league level so far. And, you know, how can you not look at look at the way they're performing? Yeah. So let's get into these promotions. We'll start on the Pirates side. Stay close to home for you and guys that, you know, one that you're going to see and one that, you know, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, like maybe you might see him at probably a long shot. Hey, you might see him. Anthony Solomito, Solomito you might see. But someone you will definitely see is Jared Jones. Jared Jones, you know, he doesn't get the fanfare because, you know, I don't think he puts up the the super gaudy numbers that, you know, turn your head. But Jones has to be one of the more underrated pitching prospects in the game, I think, right now. Uh, there's other guys that are a little flashier, higher upside that I would say are, you know, more underrated. But Jones is 21 years old. He turns 21 in two months. He has a fastball that sits in the upper 90s, a plus slider. And, you know, kind of lacks that that trustworthy third pitch. The changeup's not good. And he has a curveball that he's trying to find. But when you've got a mid to upper 90s fastball and a wipeout slider and you're 21 re- reaching triple A, I mean, it, this guy should be mentioned more than like never. Because I feel unless we're uh, we're just not catching it. I feel like he does not get much discussion. Do you know what this is? Like this is scratch your eyes and make sure you don't see Luis Ortiz from a year ago. <laughs> this is exactly what's going on here. Upper 90s heater, really good slider, can probably get up and get out. You're a little worried about, you know, confidence within the zone, which is the same exact thing that Ortiz went through last year and so far this year. But like this guy is cut from a very similar cloth and I think they they appreciated what they saw in Luis Ortiz last year, who was more so a breakout. Like this guy was a second round pick out of high school. Yeah, yeah. Ortiz was not even like a top 30 guy by any publication at the midway point of last year. And then all of a sudden now he's like a top five prospect in the pirate system before he graduated. Jones has a bit more prospect intrigue, but he's breaking out in a similar way to Luis Ortiz, where he's not striking out 12 guys per night, but He's using those two pitches and he's got a really fucking low ERA, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And and like you look at the outings, I mean, just just consistent as consistent could be. I believe it's pretty much almost every single outing this year. It's been one earned run or less, except for one where he threw against Bowie, which is just Bowie just rakes. I mean, every every Orioles affiliate rakes. But you'll get every single start this year. It's it's one earned run or less besides the first one of the year against New Hampshire. And one in mid-May that against Bowie. Yeah. yeah. So, or I mean, that, that's just really impressive to me. It's basically been four or five innings. And then the last couple were six innings back-to-back of one earned run or less. The free passes are something to watch. You know, there's so, there was a stretch of outings where it was no free passes. Recently, it's been like three, two, one, three in that order, you know, respectively. But I think that's been partly trying to mix in the changeup a bit more, trying to find that. It's a firm pitch at 90. If he can get the change up to even just be fringy, I like him as a back end of the rotation starter that when he's on fastball slider will dominate you. But, you know, I, I think that there needs to be a little bit more than just those two pitches because the fastball is really good. It's not elite enough. Like Luis Ortiz at least had the four seamer and the sinker. 
So he could give yeah. you two different things. Jared Jones is a four seamer. It's a good four seamer, but just a good four seamer and a great slider. Going to need a little bit more than that, but still a really solid pitching prospect. And ball is in the air a lot. I think it's what a two to one ratio of, of fly balls to ground balls yeah. for him. Like that is a teensy bit concerning. I but guess he, with, he was doing that in Altoona, right? Where it's pretty hitter friendly. It is pretty hitter friendly in Altoona. So that's good news. Two oh one. Yeah. My my worry is when he sees more advanced hitters, mm-hmm. what's it going to look like? And I think we're going to get a good glimpse of that early in triple. Oh, and that's the beautiful thing. If he struggles in triple A, that's fine. He could struggle the rest of the year. Goes in. Goes into next year, has all of the recipe of like, okay, this is what I needed to work on. This is where I got beat and and go from there. So he's in a great spot for himself and for, for the Pirates. And who knows? He could get himself into uh, the big league conversation for next year at some point. Yep. So let me tell. It's been pretty awesome to watch. He just made his first double A start, and I thought it was pretty solid overall. He went five innings, uh, four run ball, but only two were earned, seven Ks, one walk. That was against Somerset, which is, you know, a pretty good lineup. Yeah. 6-3 lefty. We talked about him a bunch. I, we'll just kind of mention what the double-A promotion means because it was right before he got promoted. I, I think that this gives him an opportunity to – I'd be surprised if he gets to triple. I think he'd have to really dominate. But finish this year with with a good performance through double-A. He'll finish the year still at 20 years old, and he'll start next year as a 21-year-old in triple-A too. I think this has him on a really good timeline. And again, now the Pirates are in this situation now where early next year, a lot of their AAA arms are not only high upside, but could be options for the rotation within a couple months into the season. So, you know, if Solomito has a great start to next year in AAA, presumably, that's another arm that, that can be added to the fold there. They've got some depth coming together here. I know the Pirates have been struggling of late. I think everyone's kind of expecting them to to kind of fall off a cliff to a degree this year, finish right around 500 and have a strong finish, relatively speaking, exceed expectations. And then next year is like the, Hey, let's flirt with a wild card spot. Having young pitching depth that's trekking towards a 24 debut is great news for the pirates in their timeline. It's so cool with their timeline. And that's why I think they need to go college with, with the first overall pick. Like I think they have to go cruiser skeins. I would you know, love if they grab Dylan Cruz one, one, but I, I think this timeline is perfect because you've got a 22 year old Quinn Priester that is probably going to spend the entire year in triple, maybe get a big league cameo. Again, he's 22 years old. You've got a 21 year old Jared Jones, who's getting up to triple. You've got a 20 year old Solomito who will debut in triple as a 21 year old. Mike Burroughs is 23. He'll come off TJ about the midway point of next year. And then you've got Hunter Barco coming off TJ at the beginning of next year as well. So they're going to have a lot of options for a young rotation. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like Roanzi is taking the step that I think yeah. they would hope he would, but they have a lot of backup plans coming through right now. Yeah. And you know, he's still young and has upside and you're going to give him looks, but I agree. You, you, you have a lot of different options and you have and another guy that maybe hasn't made that leap quite this year, but still shows flashes, Bubba Chandler, big upside arm that is in the lower levels that you can work his way up as well. They've got options. And then Kyle Nicholas is a solid depth arm that, that the pirates are building something nice here system wise. And, you know, we, we, we've talked about Ben Charrington and the way he's handled that organization over the last couple of years. I, I like what they are doing and they're definitely heading in the right direction. Let's head to Boston and talk about, I guess we should say what Greensboro or what, what is high a for 
the, Greenville, the, Red Sox. the Greenville, 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 Greensboro's Pirates. So Roman Anthony is headed over to high A. And Anthony was a second round pick over slot guy out of powerhouse Stoneman Douglas High School. That's you know, where you had Anthony Rizzo come out of. You had Jesus Lizardo come out of there. You've had some very good Colton Welker, some very good professional baseball players coming out of there with with more recently drafted Kobe Mayo as well. Anthony's 19 years old. He's 6'3", 200 pounds. And I'm, we're seeing a lot more hype around him as he's started to fill out. He started to add more power. And the hit tool has continued to shine through. He's 19, just turned 19. So this is an aggressive assignment, and I think it is the right assignment. He, data-wise, has looked fantastic. The swing looks fantastic. The big thing for him has been hitting the ball in the air because he hits the ball hard already. 104.5 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity for a 19-year-old is elite. Zone contact of 87% elite especially when you're hitting the ball as hard as he does and a chase rate of just 18 percent by all of the buckets at his age that is just elite stuff ground ball rate was 50 percent if you look at the like scope of the whole season but then you zero in on the last 20 games ground ball rate is cut to 43 percent 821 ops 17 walks 20 strikeouts the power hasn't quite been there in the you know slug department but you watch how hard he's hitting the ball you watch him spraying line drives and you look at the exit velocities the power's there this guy has the potential to be a big time prospect and i think the hype is is merited here with roman anthony and i think that is backed up by the red sox promoting this kid to high a as a 19 year old and a young 19 year old he just turned 19 again i have to reiterate that you just gave me the EVs. You gave me the zone contact and you gave me the chase rate. And I'm sold on this guy <laughs> already after those How three numbers. Check those buckets and not be good. Like that's, that's like, great. no, I mean that that's like the Venn diagram from heaven for a yes. prospect. Like he, yeah. he doesn't chase, he makes contact with strikes and he hits the ball hard. Like it's everything you want from a hitting prospect. Yeah. The, the number one thing that was standing out to me is, he struggles to keep that front side on against lefties and lefties have given him some fits. And I think high A lefties will very much give him some fits. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, he's, he's hitting righties really well. The body looks better overall. The swing looks really good. He's definitely made the adjustment with his lower half to, to lift the ball in the air more in his swing path. Six, three, 200. He's going to get stronger too. This is a, this is a possible top 100 guy in the update with, with, the, he's a data darling, meaning because the, the the 742 OPS, I don't think that it, like meets what you'd expect from the underlying data. But I'm expecting this guy to to really keep rolling, even in, even with the high A challenge. And I will tell you, like, if there's one thing I guess I've learned and I'm not going to entirely negate it, um, but with young lefty bats, if they struggle against lefties. I'm willing to give him time to figure it out. And exhibit A is Nolan Gorman. Like Gorman, we were worried he was going to be a liability against left-handers. And now like Gorman is an everyday piece for the Cardinals moving forward because he was really young and he figured it out while mashing righties. And I was very worried about that for sure. I mean, I was a guy that is really exceeded all of my expectations. And it's a good point, especially the high school guys, the talented guys that have that kind of impact. They, if they can, not chase and pound mistakes. They don't have to be 
great hitters against lefties. You can be a 200 hitter against lefties, walk and hit homers, and you can be somebody that doesn't need to be protected in platoons. But even if no. so, he's going to be good enough against righties, can play all three outfield spots. If he can't hit lefties, to me, he's still a, a very relevant prospect. That's why I thought it was ridiculous when people were keeping Colton Kowser out of the top 100 due to his issues against lefties, who, by the way, is hitting lefties well now. But yeah. that's even not enough to keep them outside of the top 100 when they're that good in the other facets of their game. Yeah. Judd Fabian recently promoted. Talk about a guy who demolishes lefties. Yeah. And that might end up being his side of it is being the, the left side of a platoon and just being a power guy. I think that's the fallback option. The, the exciting option for the Orioles prospect and second round pick is to be an everyday player who can play center field and hit for power. With Judd Fabian, we've always known this since he was at UF. You're going to be signing up for some whiff. But he hedges the whiff with good power, another really low chase rate. And I think it also hedges the, the volatility of the offensive profile when you have a guy that can play all three outfield spots and play a good center field. I would say with Fabian, it's tough because I'd like to see much better bat to ball skills from a college guy in high A. And I still yeah. am alarmed by the hit tool concerns. I think that there's a lot of people out there that are higher on him than I am, yeah. but he's definitely off to a solid start to his professional career. I'd say a good start to his professional career has earned that promotion uh, to double a, but I do think that the promotion to double a is going to be a challenge for him. And I'm very interested to see how he responds. There's a chance he responds well, but it's going to be, a, it's going to be a test on that fringy hit tool. Yeah. So I'm, I'm probably one of those guys that's higher on him than you. And I don't like have data access. So, you know, if I, if I did see data that was alarming, I would probably get a little bit lower, but I I'm a huge fan of what Fabian offers because he's a high OBP guy that can play three outfield spots and hit tanks, which, which is very exciting. And oh, by the way, he stole 19 bags. Yeah. I was going to say the bags, the bags are interesting. The bags have kind of come out of nowhere as well. Like he stole one bag in 22 games last year at his first taste of pro ball. So Fabian, like if Fabian offers defensive versatility, pop off the bench and the left side of a platoon, like I feel really good about Fabian. Like I I don't feel good about him being an all-star, but I feel really good about him being an impactful big leaguer. And I mean, you don't draft a college guy in the second round to be an all-star. And, and and I think Fabian came with a lot of expectations because he was once considered a top 10 pick. Uh, then he was drafted the in the thing. second round by the Red Sox, doesn't sign, goes back to school, puts up great numbers, but doesn't really convince enough that he's not going to have the, the whiff concerns. So the whiff concerns kept him out of the first round. That's fine. That's, you know, you're drafted in the first round to be an all-star. The whiff concerns, I think, made us realize, okay, maybe he might not be an all-star, but he could be a really solid and we say platoon, but when you can play all three spots, you end up playing a lot more than your average platoon guy. And again, if this is somebody that you have to play every day, you're not worried about that. He might end up earning an everyday role as he continues to get better. It just may take some more time. And his first iteration of big league experience might be as a platoon guy, but beyond that, he could develop at 24, 25, 26 as he gets better in the big leagues into an everyday guy like that. That can happen, too. Um, and I think that's very possible as well. Back to the Gorman point, not as talented as Gorman, but very talented. 
Gorman in the beginning was protected, they could protect Fabian and then ease him in. And he could turn into that everyday above average player who plays good defense in all three spots. He also could be a very good trade chip for an Orioles team that has a bunch of other upper level guys that are ahead of him, uh, which is kind of the interesting wrinkle in this too. So I I was going to say Fabian probably has some prospect fatigue already because of his college prowess. It it feels very, I I guess, Tommy Mace ish or maybe Dolander ish at this point where Dolander, like, I feel like we're already exhausted with Dolander and he hasn't even been drafted yet. Um, Fabian is probably that kind of guy, too, where he's high visibility college bat. Everybody knows that he's a good pro prospect. uh, And then you see the shortcomings in college. So so that's where you worry a little bit. I'm curious how other organizations view Fabian. And yeah, I mean, kind of dovetailing off that point, like the Orioles are going to need to move outfielders. They have too many outfielders. They need starting pitching. They're going to move outfielders for starting pitching. I will swear on that, this deadline. Yeah, you should have learned by now. Yeah, uh, you can't you can't swear by anything with that team. To. They need to, but I know. I mean, Hudson Haskin too. Like Hudson, I guess he's I know, joining. I know he's Haskin's joining Hudson Haskin, who's. I mean, last time I checked, is playing good ball. I think he's in a little bit of a slump of late, but I mean, yeah, he's slumping right now and has an eight thirty eight OPS. I know he's striking Haskin's out, but like triple, that's dude. still like he's in triple now. Yeah, so that's another guy that like playing center field, twenty four years old in triple A. In, in a slump, but like was off to a great start. That's another dude that I, I think could be traded. Stowers could be traded. And then how about Cesar Prieto, who just got bumped up to double A as well? So, or excuse me, he's a triple A. Yeah. He got bumped up to triple A. That was probably, even though they play different positions, you talk about like how it's a domino effect. Yeah. Prieto probably cleared up that roster spot for somebody like Judd Fabian to get bumped up. Prieto, left handed hitting infielder who, I mean, it's it's probably close to a 70 hit, Jack. We're talking 90% zone contact, a guy that's hitting 364 on the season. The slug has dissipated a bit as the year has gone on. It's been a lot more singles. A 30 of his last 33 hits are singles. But good glove, versatile, 70 hit tool, 24 years old now, just turned 24, reaching AAA. Guy struck out 7% of the time this year. I mean, 17 Ks and 250 plate appearances, Jack. This organization kills me. They, they like they're they're so good. This is so far and away the best farm system in baseball. Yep. And I want to walk you through the infield traffic and the outfield traffic. Let's start with the outfield. You have three outfield spots in a baseball game. You have a guy play left field, center field, and right field. And the Orioles have to juggle Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes. Ryan McKenna, Kyle Stowers, Colton Kowser, um, Santander, Santander, Dylan Beavers, um, Fabian, like Hudson Haskett. You've got seven guys who are about to get to first dad. You've got eight guys for three spots, four spots. If you want to include the DH trade someone for starting pitching on the infield, you have these guys to juggle for three infield spots, third base, shortstop and second base. You got to work with Jorge Mateo, Gunnar Henderson. Um, let's see. Uh, Ramon Arias. Yep. Ramon Arias, Taryn Vavra, Jordan Westberg. Connor Norby, Joey Ortiz. Norby. Kobe, Kobe Mayo. Mayo is, yeah. Mayo's going nuts. Mayo's like, going nuts. 
Dude, this is this makes my brain melt. The amount of options that they have that are ready. We're not even mentioning Jackson Holiday right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Like, we're not mentioning team, a top dude. top top five prospect in baseball who's going to fly up very quickly. Uh, it, it, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. It's I, what a fun time to to be an Orioles fan right now. You got so much to look forward to, and let's see if they convert that into some pitching talent. So we'll wrap up on the Orioles with. Heston Kerstad, who I mean, I can't get over the story of just how cool it is for you know him to have such a big de- delay to his professional debut with that myocarditis and uh, to take some time to get his feet back under him. But the power was there. I was a little concerned about the whiff when I saw him in the fall league, but was also sure to take it with a grain of salt, given that, you know, he was off for a while and probably took some time to feel like. Heston Kerstad again. I mean, your heart's a pretty important organ muscle. Um, yeah, it's pr- pretty, pretty important. Um, this guy's been awesome. And now they're promoting him to AAA. He's earned it. And every, every fan base I know outside of Baltimore is like, oh, how can we get, you know, for rebuilding team? How can we get Kerstad? Remember the, the Orioles took Kerstad number two overall under slot, but they took him number two because they loved him. And I don't know if Kerstad's a guy they want to move. I think there's other guys that they'd prefer to move. Of course, if you're getting a Shane Bieber or whatever, maybe that's a guy you move. But making the case for what we've seen from Kerstad here, I think the Orioles feel like they may have their next big power bat. And when you, when you talk about the upside of all the guys in this org, I love Kowser because I think he's a little bit faster. He can play center field. It's a little bit more dynamic. But Kerstad's offensive upside is, is just higher. 105 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity. But what stands out to me, 83% zone contact for a guy of his size and juice lifts the ball with force, generates a ton of carry, and the approach could get better. That's the craziest part. 35% chase rate, Jack, but he's striking out 16.5% of the time. If he gets to AAA where the strike zone's tighter and he's more patient and he ups that walk rate from 7% to 12%, his on base percentage is 382 and he's not walking and he's an aggressive hitter. Up that walk rate, you assume the K rate drops a little bit too. He could be walking as much as he strikes out while while giving you plus plus power, or at least plus. I think it's plus power, but translates into plus game power very easily. Where the raw and game don't always are aren't always in lockstep. There's always a little bit of a drop off in game versus raw. I don't think that's the case with Kerstad. This dude could be a left-handed masher for the Baltimore Orioles. And I have a feeling they may want to clutch onto him unless there's a very special trade package. Can I, I'm going to put you in a, in a tough spot. Hauser or Kerstad, if you have to hold on to one, I know it's a really so let's hard say spot. team. So a team values them equally. A team says you can, you know, yeah, give us one of Kowser or Kerstad. Oh, that is hard. That is hard. That is hard. That is hard. Um, I also want to point out real quick that there's people in the industry that specifically cited Kowser's struggles against left-handed pitching as a reason why he's not a uh, top 100 guy in, in limited action this year. They've protected him a little bit against lefties, but in 43 plate appearances, he has 12 hits. He's a 1,000 OPS. Um so let's just go through it real quick. Kowser's a year younger than Chris yep. Dad. Kowser has AAA success under his belt. Kowser can play center field. Kerstad, 
I think is more better juice. in the bat to ball department, more juice. And I think has more room to gain because Kowser's chase rate is half of Kerstad's. And he's striking out at a you know 23% clip. Yeah. There's a world where if Kerstad's approach improves, remember how many at bats he's missed out on. Right. So this is a guy that's missed out on a lot of professional at bats. I mean, almost 600 probably. I'm going to, which is crazy because I've ranked Kowser so high. So this is kind of a glimpse into where we're going to rank potentially Kerstad in here. This is crazy. Man, is that a tough one? The fact that it's a conversation is fascinating to me. Uh, I don't, I almost want to abstain. Yep. You can, you absolutely can. And, and the way that I kind of view it is Hauser has the ability to be an excellent hitter that plays center field and can play a really good corner. Kerstad, the 100 percentile out- outcome of Heston Kerstad is like all-star, one of the best hitting quarter outfielders in baseball. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for Kowser, it's like, you know, you can dream on like a slightly diminished Josh Lowe. Consistent fringe all-star. Yeah. Yeah. It's really tough, but Kowser is closer. Yeah. So like what if Kerstad doesn't make those gains that I think he can make? I I would lean keeping Kerstad at this point, but man, I really love Kowser. So it's close, but you've kind of made your point even, even by asking that. Orioles system. Is this the best system that you've seen in your time covering prospects like this Orioles yes. system right now? Yes, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. Beginning of last year, you think the Mariners system like measures up to that or you think this Orioles system's better? Not with Jackson Holiday looking like Jackson the way he's looked now, too. The fact that not only that it was a one one pick that he's instantly become a top five prospect in baseball to me, that solidifies it because you almost forget about him with all the upper level guys. And you've been diving into this for what now? Seven years? Yeah, at least. Yeah. Okay. Best system in the last seven years, the 2023 I'd, Baltimore Orioles. I'd say so. I'd absolutely say so. Especially you got some of the pitchers thrown well, too. Chase McDermott's thrown well. Yeah. Um, Seth Johnson's coming back soon. It's pretty wild. Real yeah. quick, we'll fly through some of these other guys and then hit a little bit longer on a couple of the bats that we're excited about. Daniel Palencia, yeah. you saw him. I'll just kind of leave it to you. All I'll say is in the two outings you saw him, you got two and a third innings of five strikeouts Perfect. No hits. No, no walks, no runs. Yeah. Um, Cubs need a closer. They, their one consistent relief arm has been Albert Alzali. Palencia was starting games in double. He's come up to triple and has been a reliever. Daniel Palencia is the future closer of the Chicago Cubs. Yeah. I'm willing to stamp that. Let's let's stop making this guy a starter. Um, let this guy close. It, that, that's what he is. That That's where you're going to get the most value out of him. And, and, and as a closer, he's touching triple digits routinely. Yeah. routinely instead of like occasionally and this dude's grabbed 103 this year so yep. special special arm Manny, pretty low, low low release point too Manny Rodriguez looks good too Cody Hoyer is working his way back the Cubs bullpen has not been good the Cubs bullpen is going to get really good really quickly yep Juan Brito I I've stamped him as I think one of the most underrated prospects in baseball switch hitter in the Guardians org, came over from the Rockies in that Nolan Jones trade. Looks like a you know a good trade for both sides. Guardians could probably use Nolan Jones right now, but they did get a really good prospect here. Yep. I, I think Brito is a really safe bat. Switch hitter, middle infielder, solid defender, plus hit tool. 
above average power potential, hits the ball in the air, walks more than he strikes out. This is a top 100 prospect to me, especially if he performs in the early going in, in double A. Um, 21 years old, no brainer to get promoted up there. He's a guy that got promoted a little bit ago, but I still wanted to highlight him because he is really hitting well in, in double A. Um, this is a this is a really good prospect here in Juan Brito. They always have young guys that perform at the upper levels. Like, I mean, we're talking about Rokio being, you know, stuck in triple at this point, even though I don't think he should be stuck in triple. Angel Martinez has struggled out of the gates, but Martinez looked like a guy last year that could climb really quickly. As Martinez has slowed his sprint into a jog to the big leagues, and Jose Tena has kind of slowed his jog into a walk to the big leagues, they add another guy to that middle infield traffic. So the Guardians have done it again, and they found it, a young guy that's succeeding in double. Yep, and that's what they do, and he fits. He checks all their boxes. Plus hit tool, oh. switch hitter, uh, good approach, good instincts, plays the game well, like does all the little things well. But I think he's toolsier than most of the guys with that mold, um, especially when you look at you know, how hard he can hit the ball. Speaking of hitting the ball hard, how about Yankeel Fernandez of the Rockies? Are the Rockies backing into a good farm system? Are, are, are we going to give them credit? Are they are they doing things right or are they like just backing into this? Regardless, Yankeel Fernandez, what a year he is having. And it doesn't even matter where he's playing. I know he's playing in Spokane and, and, and that's a pretty hitter friendly environment. Don't yeah. care. 108 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity. This dude's hit balls 114. I put out a clip on my Twitter. I don't know if you saw it, Jack, of one like an insanely awesome camera angle from High A Spokane of him blasting one. And he's a right fielder, by the way. And he's bat first. It's all about the bat. Blasting one pull side and just pimping the shit out of it. I'll send it to you if you didn't see it yet. This guy's got monster power, a good enough feel to hit. The chase rates are really high. He doesn't walk at all. Uh, he's going to be challenged in double uh, A now that he has uh, been promoted, you know, with that approach. But man, does he hit the crap out of the ball? Uh, I just watched it and I texted you last night. I said, I think Yankeel Fernandez is my new favorite player. Yeah, I hadn't even seen this video. I think Yankeel Fernandez is far and away my new favorite player. Yeah, <laughs> He's so electric. Fun. Rocktober's here, man. I mean, it's so here. Fernandez going to double. So Yankeel Fernandez is going to share an outfield with Veen, who's really struggling at really this struggling. point. He's going to share a lineup with Drew Romo and Hunter Goodman, who's in double, right? Yeah, Hunter Goodman. That Hartford Yargo team, I'm definitely going to try to go out and see sometime yeah. soon. Um, and you got to figure it's only a matter of time before Adel Amador joins them. Yep, yep. And so. Bernabel is there as well. Like, dude. It's a good team. That's a good team. It's a fun team. It's a fun lineup. Get out there. Go to Dunkin' Donuts Park in Hartford. Good park, too. I've heard good park. Big time juice, 36% chase rate. Going to need to cut down on that. But when you're striking out 19% of the time with that kind of chase rate, you know, I'm encouraged. Like any young 20-year-old power-hitting prospect, breaking balls are a little bit of an issue. Um, he's He might struggle a bit. I don't care. He's 20 and double. It's going to be a fun challenge for him. And he's still going to hit homers. So it should be fun to watch. This is definitely a relevant prospect. And, and, you know, if he can get his way to triple, you know, he's going to put up Nolan Jones type numbers up there. Yep. 
Gabriel Hughes, first round pick by the Rockies. We stay on the Rockies trend here. College arm, college arm that I think you know, everybody was excited about until he got drafted by the Rockies and then he kind of got overlooked a little bit. He's been good this year. It's just kind of been escaping the blow up starts. He had a blow up start in his second career double A start where he, you know, where he's recently been promoted 10 earned yeah. runs against reading, uh, but then bounces back and goes five and a third, the very next start against reading of three run ball. Um, it's really been I, a vast majority of his earned runs have come on three star or four starts. He had one start where he gave up seven earned runs, another start where he gave up eight earned runs, another start where he gave up six earned runs, and another start where he gave up 10 earned runs. If you take, and I know you can't play it this way, but with prospects, you got to look at everything. If you take the other starts, basically the ones where he doesn't get shelled, he's got a 201 ERA, six starts, he's pitched to a 31 and a thirds innings, 41 Ks, 12 walks. I think that's still important context because you have a pool of six starts where he's been really good, including two in double A. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, you also had the four blow up starts. College yeah. arm, good stuff. I, I, I still think this is going to be a good arm for them. But let's be honest that like that's a really bad percentage. Like if if 40 percent of your starts at this point are blow up starts. Now, granted, it's 10 starts. If we get to 20 starts and eight of them are blow ups, that's when you slam the panic button. But yeah. at this point, 10 for say he strings together, you know, seven good starts without a blow up. If four of your 17 starts are blow ups and those are accounting for a bad ERA, that's when you can start to play the if you take it out game. Yeah. Um, I love that. Like we're playing it at this point because I'm all for the Rockies having a good pitching prospect. Uh, but unfortunately, like that's way too many blow up starts in, yeah. in 10 starts. Very talented, though. Low to mid 90s fastball averages around 93 sliders, a plus pitch. It's been a big whiff inducer. Uh, but really just struggling with the third pitch ends up going fastball heavy. And that's where he gets hit, you know, a little bit harder, but yeah. still it's, it's good to see him promoted. He heads up to double a where I think he will benefit in a much more pitcher friendly ballpark in Hartford. And, and maybe can have a little bit more confidence with, with the rest of his arsenal and, and attack hitters with the fastball a bit more. Yep. Landon Knack to triple a um, this is, you know, I think this is a move for the Dodgers to just kind of have a, an arm, you know, kind of waiting. I, I don't know if this is much of anything other than just a shuffling um, because we've seen so many arms brought up from double A, including Emmett Sheehan, including um, you know, Bryce Miller, Brian Wu. We've seen several arms promoted from double A and, and even Owen White. So I don't know if this is necessarily like, a, let's see if he can do it in triple thing. Um, I think this is kind of just allocation of arms and, you know, Knack has been solid. I don't think he's great. I think he's fine. I think he's a swing man, depth arm struggled in his triple a debut. I, I wouldn't put too much stock into the land and Knack promotion. Yeah. So Knack is probably unfortunately at the bottom of the totem pole here. When you look at Miller, Stone, Sheehan, Nestrini, Frasso, River Ryan, Maddox Bruns, Ronan Kopp, uh, Pepio, like Knack's probably under all those guys. But he's, he's improved. He's improved his outlook this year for sure. For sure. But he's also 25. Like he was a 25 year old. 26 in, in, a, in like a couple weeks. Okay. So yeah, I mean, in old 25 and double, like, you know, you're still hoping you've got something in Knack. And I think the Dodgers, you know, see that they might have something, whether for a short time or, or a couple of starts yeah. or, you know, maybe the rest of the year they've he's got a, something. He's a fill-in guy for sure that I think can can step up for you. And he's also a good 
throwing piece in a trade. There's plenty of teams that would have an interest in Landon Knack. And I think there's teams, you know, right now that could plug him into the rotation and see how he does and see if he can develop. He's got a decent pitch mix and, you know, command that's improved. Yep. Abner Rebe of the, the Brewers we talked about recently, Jack. Uh, thank goodness he got promoted because I want to see the data in triple, not in this Southern league, uh, because he throws triple digits. He's disgusting. We've talked about how absurd the stuff is. The fastball slider combination is comical. He sits a hundred. He's up to one Oh three with crazy sink run and, and a slider that can be diabolical, but he just doesn't know where it's going. 53% K rate or, or excuse me, 53% strike rate. The, K rate is actually 70% on the slider, uh, which is hilarious. Um, so what, you know, when, when it's within r- remote area of the zone, it's, it's good luck. You're not hitting that, but he's walked 18% of batters so far since getting up to triple a Nashville, he's thrown an inning in two thirds, one earned run, four walks, two strikeouts. It's the Abner Uribe experience. That's what you're going to get. You can get a ton of strikeouts. You're going to get, I would say oh, semantics on the mound. He's, yeah. he's borderline crazy out there and, yeah. and just fuzz. He's intimidating. He's electric. He could be a big league closer. He could never throw enough strikes. Let's find out in triple a. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm, I'm just hoping it's different than the Ricky Karcher experience in Cincinnati. Like I'm hoping it's not like, Hey, balls leaving his hand and I have no idea where it's going. That's kind of what it is right now, but it works. And like, it's working way better than it did at any level for Karcher. I don't think there's anything in the world. I'd rather do less than square for a bunt against Abner Uribe or Ricky Karcher. I think, I think I'd rather be hit by four land and knack fastballs. than just square for a bunt for three pitches against either of these guys, because there's a chance I die. Yep. I may die. I'd only drag bunt. I would only drag bunt from the left side. I do do the softball slap hitter swing, regardless of bunting or not. I would be like running out of the box when I try and hit. I don't think there's an amount of money for me to step in there and do that. I'm not kidding. (laughs) There's really not. Um, Next up, Mike Vassell talked about him a bit on the pod before I anointed uh, Blade Tidwell before the year after I fell in love with the three pitch, four pitch mix on the backfields that really impressed me. And Tidwell's numbers haven't been great, but he, I think he's looked really good. I anointed Blade Tidwell as the, the best pitching prospect in, in the, the Mets system. My friend at Baseball America, uh, Jeff Ponce, responded and said, Mike Vassell would like a word. And man, it, it was was Jeff right about that. Um, Vassell's been better and Vassell's been good. Uh, very yeah. good. Another guy... Kind of unique release point. Ball's kind of hard to pick up out of his hand. His stuff's ticked up. And it goes in all different directions from this short arm release point. And I think it really makes it hard for hitters. Fastball is 94. And then he's got a changeup, a curve, a slider, and a cutter. All at different speeds. It's just unique how he's able to attack hitters. And all of the pitches have been very solid. I'd say the worst pitch for him has been the slider, which he tends to hang. But still, when he when he locates it, it's a really solid pitch. This is a fun arm. You know, I don't think anything jumps off the page, but stuff ticks up. I've got four big league pitches I can come at you with from a decent release point. Vassal's going to be a big league arm. I think he's going to be a solid big league four. Potential to be a three when his stuff is working all off its, all off itself. 
So my worry here is the big ball. Um, that That's the only thing that is somewhat concerning here. And, and you see a four and a half and 11 starts and a sub one whip. You're like, okay, where's the disconnect here? Because if the whip is under one, you expect the ERA to be a lot lower. And the answer is the long ball. Nine homers and 54 innings is is a tough eat for yeah. this guy. Um, if he can keep the ball in the ballpark, like he's, I think he's proven that he's like that classic Virginia pitchability guy. Yeah, and AAA will be a great test. I should say he's getting the bump to triple. Um, but I love that he doesn't walk guys. So if the long ball is going to burn you, let that be your Achilles heel. Yep. And if you can, you know, be decent with keeping the ball in the yard, he'll be in good shape. I think it's almost a matter of being around the strike zone too much. When you see a four point seven walk rate. You see a 56% in zone zone rate. So he's just in the strike zone a lot. And on the fastball, he's in the zone around 61% of the time. On his slider, he's in the zone 63% of the time. It's not surprising to me that the vast majority of the extra base hits that he's giving up are on that fastball and slider, where he's probably just missing over the middle a bit too much. Uh, 23 years old, now reaching AAA. This is an arm that, you know, if if all goes wrong for the Mets, he could plug in. First hey. AAA start was not a good one, but you also mentioned long ball is an issue. Where does he go to make his first big league start? Buffalo, where the ball yeah. flies. So it was a challenge for him there. Um, I think it'll take some time. I don't know if he's an option for them this year. I think if he's an emergency option, that's fine. I think next year he could start the season in the rotation, though, and be a solid depth arm, like number four or five starter. This is kind of an emergency right now for the New yeah. York Mets. Like I whatever they're running out in the four or five spot right now, like Vassal's comparable, probably. It's not far off. If he can string together a couple good triple A starts, probably wouldn't be crazy. Um, we got Gabe Rinconis. Yep. Rinconis has been interesting. Um, he gets the promotion to a high A for what that would send him to that, that would, would be take Jersey him Shore. Clearwater to Jersey Shore. Yeah, the Phillies, Phillies and Rangers are the ones that kind of get me. Yeah. What the Philly system? Like the affiliates. Like it's it's Clearwater, oh. Jersey Shore, Reading, and then Yeah, I don't know what it is. I don't know if they've shuffled more like those affiliates in recent I for whatever reason I draw a blank on Jersey Shore. Uh yeah. but Rinconis goes to high A. Solid prospects, you know, fascinating to a degree. He's off to a pretty good start in high A, uh, 22 years old. He hits the ball really hard. And I think that's that's the thing you got to look at. 107 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity is pretty absurd. Just on the ground way too much. And I think that's holding back the power. But good approach. And there's some whiff in there. This is definitely one of the higher upside Bats, I think they have, though, in that system, which isn't saying a lot. But I, I do think that this is someone to to monitor in the Philly system because there's just not that many dudes that are hitting the ball that hard and, you know, have that projectable frame at 6'3", 220. He's, he's filled out, but I still think he's got a little bit more room. He's 22, third round pick in 2022. I, I think this is somebody that, you know, has some upside to, to, to watch, but, you know, could have an acclimation process in high A. Yeah, I I don't know much about him. I just saw that he he got the bump here, and yeah, I like intriguing. The college numbers are intriguing, but yeah, I'll, I'll take your word. Yeah, um, another guy that we don't have a ton on, but you know, I think yeah. it's it's worth monitoring and noting his uh, promotion. Michael Arroyo up from the complex to low A. 
What, what, what did he sign for, Jack? I don't know if you can pull it up on like pipeline. I think Arroyo signed for 4.1 million. I might be getting him confused with Celestin, though. Arroyo yeah. might have been a 1 million guy. You are. He was a 1.38, Michael. Okay. Arroyo. What was Celestin? Celestin, oh my, 4.7. Congratulations. Okay, yeah. so he got big money. So Arroyo. Celestin. But a million dollars for an international free agent, you are a very relevant prospect. And I I think he he definitely turned a lot of heads right out of the gate. I will say the Mariners do a good job in international free agency. So when the Mariners spend more than a mil, I I lock in a little bit more than maybe some other teams. If the Nationals spend a mil, yawn. Let me know when he's putting up numbers in in high end. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Um, Arroyo's got a really good swing and I'm working on the, the Mariner system right now. It should be done later this week. And that'll be probably one of our episodes this week. So I won't go too deep into it. Uh, Arroyo looks good so far though. I think very advanced hitter for his age, not as much projection as a five, eight, you know, hitter, but I love the bat to ball skills and he hits the ball hard for his frame. So there's, there's a lot to like here and we'll dive deeper when we get into the Mariner system. Carson Wisenhunt. This this guy screams a Jack favorite to me uh, because lefty gets out. I, I really like the change up. I mean, everybody likes to change up. Why should I make that about me? Change up is phenomenal. If you don't like to change up, you're a weirdo because <laughs> it has just been insane to watch. It's a 70 change. He was a what did they go? Was it compensation round? For Wisenhunt or second round for Wisenhunt? Uh, I think it was full-blown second round. Full-blown sec- second round for Wisenhunt for the Giants. He gets the bump to double. Much needed. College arm. Yeah, he didn't pitch a lot because there were some, you know, some concerns with a failed drug test. That ended up being a... It's it was a supplement that you can get at GNC. Yeah. Is that it, is it that was, we're buying that one though? Because I've heard that one before. But like, yes. was, was, I I've heard of I've heard of guys getting suspended for Celsius. Like the yeah. NCAA is kind of a joke yeah. with that. Stuff. I'm gonna give Wizen Hunt 100 the benefit of the doubt there. Um, guy, you know, has looked good overall. I think he's really just kind of picked apart high A hitters with the fastball changeup. I'm curious to see how how he's challenged in double A. I think he could still pick apart a lot of double A hitters with the fastball changeup. But in the days where the changeup is not landing for a strike 73% of the time, how does Wizen Hunt look? And that's what I'm interested to see. Because the fastball is good, not great. You know, I think it's a 50-55. Curveball is bad at this point. It's just not a good pitch. 46% strike rate. It's it just hangs a lot when he locates it. You can see it flash above average, but it's just not there right now. Fastball changeup is really good though. So I'm interested to see how he gets acclimated to double a, if the curveball continues to get better and the fastball is you know commanded well, East West, it's a good three pitch mix changeup dependent that I think, you know, you could see that like Pablo Lopez type mold, but a lefty that's, that's a fun pitcher. Um, yeah, obviously he's got some ways to go in the command department, but double A's are going to be a, a, a great test. I love the timing of the promotion here. Build that confidence, get that change up rolling. Now let's test him. Yep. Um, I, I found Wisenhunt's statement and I saw the farm director of the giants, like kind of defended it. They said, we fully believe Wisenhunt's story. Um, this is Carson Wisenhunt's statement that he released when, you know, this happened ahead of the 2022 season. Dear Pirate Nation, he was an ECU guy. 
Over winter break, I took supplements I purchased at a nationwide nutrition store, which resulted in a positive test. Unfortunately, under NCAA rules, I'm not allowed to participate in the 2022 college baseball season. I'm disappointed I won't be able to play this season and sincerely apologize to my teammates, coaches, family, friends, and fans. Like, that's tough. That's just, that's a shitty pinch, man. And yeah. I understand that, like, hey, the documents are there, but like, dude, how are you expecting to get pop for something you can find at GNC? A hundred percent. And it's the NCAA. So like you expect them to run things properly there. I, I yeah. th- th- you know, I think we, sh- this will be the last time we talk about the, the suspension before turning the page and focusing on Car- Carson Wizenhunt, hunt, the pitching prospect. But I think it's an important context because he would have been a first round pick. Yeah. So and- from that lens, he, he would have a hundred percent been a first round pick and you get him in the second round. He looks good. If he was looking this good as a first round pick, would there be a little bit more hype around him? Probably. So yeah. I, I think it's worth noting like, hey, he got screwed a little bit. He's making up for lost time now. But it's also important to note that he didn't pitch in a big year. I know it's not the minor leagues, but he didn't get to throw a full season there where he could have got a better feel for the curveball. He could have got a, a little bit of a better feel for his East West command of the fastball. Changeup was already there. So yeah. that's a wrinkle of it, too. He he lost out on some innings to develop arms pressure, but that that matters. He lost out on a hundred innings, maybe yeah. more. Like Skeens has thrown what one ten right now. I'm not saying Wizen yeah. Hunt was going to be Skeens, but I'm saying like he probably would have thrown over a hundred innings. They would have rode him, baby, and they were good. He, he could have taken rode, ECU to the promised land. They rode Gavin Williams the year before. Yeah. Like that's what ECU does. They ride studs that are really good big league arms, man. So Wizen Hunt had the Gavin Williams cut of the cloth, and yeah. and that changeup is awesome. But the only appearances that he made at the amateur level in 2022 were four starts in Chatham out on the Cape. So like Wizenhunt, Yeah. I I'm glad that this is the last time we talk about it, but we're putting it to bed. Yeah. Um, obviously I don't want to give PED guys the benefit of the doubt. Like I'm going to ding guys that test positive for performance enhancing drugs. But the reason I think it's important to bring this up is like, this is not your typical PED suspension. Like this is not a testosterone booster. This is there's there's a lot of context to it too. Like before we move on to the last two players and Brady house and Jake Bennett, I I, I feel like when we're on the outside, you don't really totally know what's going on and all those things. And like, I I can think of a perfect example of like my good friend, Griffin Conine first professional season. He's in Vancouver and, you know, the guys on the team are really excited about being in pro baseball and going out in Vancouver and having fun. It's short season ball. And, you know, they were sometimes tired the next day and guys would take, you know, Adderall or Vivance or Ritalin. And I don't think they really understood the the ramifications of it. If you test positive, yeah. Griff took a, a Ritalin and tested positive a couple of days later because they had a random test. Is Griffin Conine a PED guy? I can tell no. you unequivocally, that's one of my best friends. He plays the game right. He's he's and it sucks for him because he's a power guy. So people are like, oh, I'm like, dude, it, it was, you know, no, he takes it was an amphetamine. Body. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, never takes it now. And you can get an exemption for it. If you don't, they ding you for it. It happens. It's happened in the big leagues. But is that a guy that cheats? Is that a guy that does anything the wrong way? No, but that's going to hang over his head. Oh, remember, he got suspended. So I'll give guys the benefit of the doubt, especially through the minor leagues on that kind of stuff, especially yeah. when it's not like. Oh, he was taking SARMs and was like bustled up and had a massive power up to right. like, we're taking if a guy takes the wrong boosters. thing. Yeah. yeah. If he takes the wrong thing and makes a mistake, 
they're young, they're kids. Like it's not, it's not the end of the world and it doesn't define them as, as people. And I can speak to that as a close situation to myself there um, with one of the best people I know in Griff. So yeah. let's wrap it up with, with two guys, Brady house and Jake Bennett, Jake yeah. Bennett. I saw a pitch and honestly fell in love with the pitch ability. We'll wrap with him, but Brady house, I've always been lower on Brady house. And I think that he is really, I, I don't want to say proving me wrong. Cause like I'd never said he wasn't going to like be great or, or be good, but I was definitely more concerned about him than some of the other high high school draft picks. And I yeah. think that he is, he is kind of been better than I, as the best way I could put it has been better than I would have expected. And yeah. I, I don't like making the player's performance about myself, but I also want to be able to hold myself accountable when I talk about a guy that, you know, I said, Oh, I'm concerned about him. And then I'm just going to pretend I never said that when they get promoted and play well, Freddie house is playing really good baseball. And I didn't think he'd play very good baseball to start the year. I thought it would be a slower burn, but it's also a 20 year old in his third year of pro ball at low A. So, yeah. you know, it, it's time that he got the bump up, right? No, he was, I, I saw him on the same day. I saw Jake Bennett. And when I saw him, it just, it's a little stiff to me. I think mm-hmm. the moves are a little, a little rough around the edges. There's guys that can hit with moves that are rough around the edges. And maybe he can be one of those guys. I think that the extraneous movements and just kind of, it's not, it's that loud. It's, I just don't think it's smooth. And I think it causes him to have to make decisions a bit earlier. He cheats a little bit. 45% chase rate on the fastball kind of backs that up. And that was my concern. What I will say is he's getting into his game power way better. His feel to hit is way better. And he's hitting the ball real damn hard. 106 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity. He's cut the K rate. He's walking a little bit. Um, but I, I, I'm going to need to see some smoother moves. I think I'm going to need to see a little bit less stiffness in the box. But that said, he's getting into his game power more. The bats of ball skills are better. And, and I think he's, he's improving his outlook as, as a player. Just turned 20. High A is going to be a good challenge for him. Yeah, no, I think so too. Uh, rap with Bennett. Rap with Bennett. Jake Bennett. I love what I saw, dude. Uh, get, get into the numbers. Like, what stands out to you with Bennett? I'll tell you just kind of the scouting report and what what I saw and what I liked. Yeah, so nine starts for Bennett in low A. He's now made two starts in high A with Wilmington. Jake Bennett, college arm, second round pick out of Oklahoma last year. So he was. An older guy for low A, that was probably a conservative assignment for the Nats off the top. Uh, but Bennett's been awesome, man. You combine, what, two starts that are nine innings of one-run ball in high A with his numbers in low A. 11 starts, 51 innings. He's got a 1.76 ERA. That's 10 earned runs in 51 innings. He's punching out 11.5 per nine. He's walking under two per nine. So Dude, Bennett's been really good statistically. Such a good field to pitch. Fastball is 90 to 92, a grab a three and maybe touch a four, but change up phenomenal feel for it. So that yep. really helps slider. Good feel for it. Curveball, Good feel for it. So he's throwing four pitches for a strike, spotting the change up and just mixing really well. Sequencing nothing jumps off the page. I think it's like fifties across the board with his pitches and 50 command. That's a big league back end starter. And I think that he's going to climb quickly. I was a conservative assignment. I think they wanted to stretch him out. I, I don't necessarily know why they were conservative with it. Maybe wanted him to work on some of the secondaries and not be as much in fight or flight mode. Because you know, for Jake Bennett to be successful, he needs all four pitches. 
And yep. so I think if he got sent to straight to high A, he might have leaned a little bit more fastball changeup to try to get better hitters out. Now he's got to feel for all four. Now he's getting you know hitters out. And I think you know, the strikeouts might dip, but he's not nibbling in high A. And, and I think he'll be in double by season's end. He's very polished, should be a, a big league arm for them. Yeah, and, and by no means is this like great start to, hey, is he a top 100 guy thing? Because he's not. Like he doesn't have the... He probably doesn't have the pitches. He doesn't have the ability of a top 100 arm, but he's got the ability of a big league five and a really good, solid top 10 arm in a system, a top 10 prospect in a system to have that you like. It's very Will Warren, right? Yeah, I would say like lefty half notch down from Will Warren, which is great. (laughs) That's that's great. I agree. I think it's very Will Warren. All right. That'll do it. I I think next episode will be Mariners. We'll try to squeeze in maybe one more on um, some trends in the minor leagues that I want to dive into um, and, and tie that in with a talk about some big decisions we're making with this top 100 list. Perfect. Jack, any final thoughts as we wrap up this first episode of the week? I don't think so. Jan Kiel Fernandez, my favorite player in baseball. Love it, man. All right, we're going to go record the Just Baseball show. Those of you that enjoy this, go check that out as well. Um, JustBaseball.com, plenty of prospect content there. A lot of draft stuff as we get closer and closer. We'll be keeping you briefed on the draft as well over here. We'll be talking college baseball prospects as well that we've been watching in this College World Series. That'll probably be built into one of these episodes as well. And keep an eye out. We'll probably do a mailbag in the next week or so. Also, those are always fun. I'll be writing up a lot more articles in the next week or so on JustBaseball.com. So keep your eyes peeled there. As always, thank you for listening. Look forward to talking prospects with you later this week. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.